with your host Yasmina Ramsey, where we explore how world dance expresses the inexpressible and helps us to understand the meaning of our existence. From his early years in the Alvin Ailey Repertory Ensemble to principal dancer with Les Ballets Jazz de Montréal, George Randolph then turned his attention to producing such smash hits as T.O. Hot Shoe Show and more recently the CSA award-winning documentary Unsung, Behind the Glee. His biggest and most profound contribution to Canada's performing arts scene was through creating his triple threat training method in 1992. To this day, the educational programs that the Randolph College for the Performing Arts offers are unrivaled, creating jobs for teachers and thousands of students who've gone on to become actors, directors, producers, recording artists, and choreographers, sharing George's legacy worldwide. Although I have never attended his school, he was an unknowing mentor and inspiration to me as well. So hi, George. I think it's been something like 25 years since I last saw you in person. How have you been? First of all, I just want to say thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. I mean, this is, it was quite touching. I, um, I, I've, been, I've been well, still here. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Well, I'm honored to have you here. And that encounter with you 25 years ago, um, my studio, I had just moved in, and you, were, you had your studio across the street on Gloucester, Gloucester and Young. You had a TV thing or a movie being filmed in your studio, so you needed more studio space. You were going to rent from me. Right. And so you came over to my studio to check out how big it was and things like that. And on the wall was all pictures of past students in costumes, uh, belly dance costumes, etc. And you kind of looked at the wall up and down all over, and then you looked at me and looked back at the wall, and then you said, you know, it's really hard to make it in the arts. And of all the arts, the hardest is dance. And you had to pick belly dancing. You're one brave girl. <laughs> well, obviously you're good at what you do. <laughs> I'm still around, too. <laughs> Indeed. But I have told that story so many times in the last 25 years all over the world to students <laughs> when telling them, you know, don't be discouraged, keep it up. And I tell them this very famous uh, dancer who made it, you know, it was really big in Canada. He told me this and... Um, so we should be like proud of ourselves that we're strong enough to still survive. <laughs> there you go, knock on wood. Yeah. So thank you for that. I was thinking that if that encounter with you, and because I've been stalking you lately on Facebook because I'm about to interview you, so I've been like, <laughs> and a lot of your posts are about your children. Your son, especially, just like last week, really big thing happened, and your daughter's doing amazing things. And I was thinking that maybe. My sense of you is this nurturing type of person. Would you uh, say that, or is that just something that I've... I would like to say that um, one of the reasons I got involved in, in teaching was for people to discover who they really are through, through the arts. Many people can teach someone to sing, dance, and act, which is great, and people do it well. But our takeaway is that what we give our students are life skills. You know, so in any walk of life that they decide to enter, they'd be able to pull from what they've learned. 
to see someone come in shy and always be in the back of the class and then all of a sudden they're in front of the class. Parents uh, uh, would thank me for bringing their child out of the, or not me, but the program out of their shell into this area and space of confidence and better self-esteem and learning how to uh, work and share in the creative process and to get a better understanding of the world and cultures around them. So is that the reason why you went from being a performer and on stage and in the spotlight to in opening a school? Oh, the opening school was totally by accident. Really? Yeah. I thought I was going to be this big-time choreographer, producer mm-hmm. of shows around the world and all that kind of th- thing. And it dawned on me that I really should develop a, a, a skill that would um, allow me to do those kind of things. And so I felt teaching for me was the avenue to go that would support me to do these other uh, endeavors. But um, when I first came here to Toronto, after I finished with Les Ballet Jazz de Montréal, uh, teaching for their school here, unfortunately they went under. And I took it over, and that's how I got involved in the dance studio business. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's how that worked out. And I, I um, had a partner at the time, business partner at the time, um, Mara O'Connor. And um, we changed the, the name from Le Ballet Jazz, the dance center, to Studio Dance Theater. And that was located on Adelaide and Jarvis Street. Uh, wow. Rodney's Oyster Bar yeah. was a tenant in the basement. <laughs> I know what that <laughs> you know? is. And, and what uh, year was that? Uh, that was in 85. So when did you move into Gloucester and Young? Because it was before me. I think you were already st- well established there before I got there. Oh, it was, um, it was, a, it was a journey. Because um, after Adelaide and uh, Jarvis, I had moved to Richmond and Duncan. After Richmond and Duncan, there was uh, Gloucester and Young. So that had to be around um, 95. Oh, so we were around the same time. Yeah. yeah. You had big, beautiful studios, and I had this dumb <laughs> <laughs> makeshift. But, yeah. I mean, we had a lot of space. But when you d- decided to establish the Randolph Academy or the Randolph College for Performing it's, Arts. It's been through some names. Like, yeah. So, um, okay, what had happened at Studio Dance Theater? Let me give you a quick history. My partner at the time, Mara, kind of decided that she wanted uh, out of the situation, so I bought her out, and I became um, the owner of Studio Dance Theater. Uh, then I took on a um, another part, another business partner, and uh, unfortunately, um, he emptied the school's account and took all the money and left town, that type of thing. Why does that I, happen so much I, in the I, arts? I know, man. you know, I. <laughs> I wish I had invested time in, in, in business courses, to tell you the truth. Um, so anyway, so I, uh, 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 our daughter was uh, only a month old, and we had absolutely no money. It was my students. Uh, we didn't have a children's program at the time. It was strictly all adults. And the adults, these um, professional men and women, um, some of them pulled together uh, funds, and they paid... Um, for my uh, rent mm-hmm. in my apartment and 
and bought groceries. Oh, that's um, so sweet. For about four months yeah. to get me back on my feet. Yeah. And then one of my students, um, Kathy Baker, um, her husband at the time uh, worked for a law firm called Weir and uh, Foles. We had changed the name from Studio Dance Theater to Randolph Dance Theater. Because I and I was looking for another location, because I couldn't stand going to that space anymore. Yeah. You know, when you have everything, you know, posters taken off the wall, just everything, all your personal possessions gone. And I was walking down the street on Richmond and Duncan uh, with a with a buddy of mine. I said, "That's the place I, I I would like to move the studio to." And he said, "George, what are you talking about, man? You don't you got absolutely no cash." Um, I don't. I don't understand. I don't get it. I said, um, "I'm going to go and check out the property manager and make this pitch." And the pitch was, um, I told him who I was. He said, "Yeah, I read about you in the paper. You know, sorry about what happened to you. That type of thing." I said, "I would like to move my uh, school here. I would like to occupy the top two floors. I have absolutely no money to renovate the space. I would like for you to build the space." and amortize it over a five-year lease with another option, another five. I showed him my uh, canceled checks of the rent that I paid on Adelaide. Yeah. And I, said, yeah. I said, I do have a following, and mm-hmm. this is the kind of money that I can pay you every month. Mm-hmm. And with on that, we did a handshake, and wow. he did the deal. That's how I got back on my feet. It was a different time, though. <laughs> like, I'm not sure that would happen now. Oh, back I know. Then. Yeah, truly. And then uh, we outgrew that space, yeah. and um, Gloucester came up, and we decided to move, move over there. But um, so it was called Randolph Dance Theater. Then, in the early '90s, '92, we um, changed it to uh, Randolph School of the Arts. Okay, we changed it because they started bringing uh, musicals into the country. You know, Cats was the first one, and you know, Kiss of the Spider Woman. So they had this huge audition for Kiss of the Spider Woman at the studio, and everybody came out. You know, there's a lot of hype involved because Cheetah Rivera was the star. Um, Brent Carver, the late great Brent Carver, was the up and coming Canadian actor. And Vincent Patterson was the choreographer, and he just got finished doing all of Madonna's early videos. So everybody was at the audition, place was packed. Uh, the producers uh, put them through their paces for like six hours. And then at the end of the day, he said, there's no talent in this room. I have to go to New York and get my talent. Mm-hmm. I said, "I said, what are you talking about, man? There's talent in this room. He said, you're right. You have singers over there, dancers over there, actors over here. For the type of performer I'm looking for, I'm looking for a versatile performer for the type of musicals I want to bring into the country. They have that training in New York, but not in Canada. So I said, okay, how about this? Would you consider to uh, be part of an advisory board to help develop an industry-driven curriculum for producers like yourself? And he says, that's interesting. So he sent his uh, VP at the time to be part of this, and then I went over to the Mervish organization. They sent their rep, and then I was fortunate enough to get a, a grant from the Ministry of Human Resources to have a feasibility study done by KPMG to see if this idea of triple threat training had any merit. Mm -hmm. And long story short, they said, 
There's many wonderful, great universities and colleges in Canada uh, for the arts, but you major in one area, minor in another. No one's doing equal training in all three. So you're at the right place at the right time. But in other countries, they had colleges like that that had training in all three at the same time? Like in the U- U.S., they already had that? Well, the, the concept is not, uh, it's not new. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had this concept back in the MGM days, back in the 40s. Right. right? That was a system that Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland went through. Right. You know, so... Um, Just Canada didn't have it. Right. I'm sure there were other, um, like there's, a, uh, I believe, a school in Australia that has a very, has an excellent one. I think um, uh, London has an excellent one and also Germany. But as far as Canada... It was talked about. I mean, you would have dance incorporated in the musical theater program, but not as far as equal training. Yeah. And in the beginning, I didn't consider myself a musical theater program. You know, we, at the time, you know, um, in 92, we had trademarked the name Triple Threat. We owned the name Triple Threat um, as far as pertaining to training goes in the arts. Our philosophy was just to make people more employable. <laughs> yeah. That's the bottom line for, um, for our way of thinking. You know, because there's no such thing as just a dancer, just a singer, just an actor, if you want to make a life out of this. Mm-hmm. You have to be excellent in one area at least and potential in the other two for sure. But you yourself, once you become involved in that triple th- threat world... Did your love of dance change and you start to migrate towards theater or singing or, or it stayed always strong with dance? You know, be it singing, dancing, acting, it all comes from the same place. It's about how you can tell the story. Mm. It's about intentions behind your movement. Uh, what do you want from that person? What tactics are you going to use to get them on your side? You know, so I think that it just um, opened up a whole uh, new world for me. And plus, I realized that the importance of it, because when I was in New York, after I did my, my stint with Alvinelli uh, Repertory Ensemble, uh, and I was trying out for Broadway, I got an audition for Bob Fosse's Dancing with Gwen Verdon as the, uh, the choreographer. <laughs> And um, the dance didn't really pose a problem, but the vocal, the singing, I realized that I wasn't a natural. I realized that as well when I auditioned for the original uh, TV movie, Fame. (laughs) There, I was too old to be a student and not old enough to be a teacher. Mm. So, um, but again, it was about the uh, vocal training. That's a while to be, you know, to... So I think that was the impetus of also for me to develop a program that was much more you know, well-rounded. Yeah. And you started off wanting to be a choreographer and produce dance around the world, and then you end up with a triple-threat college. Do you like the way things turned out? Or do you wonder about if you'd gone the other direction? Like, it's, since you say it was an accident that you sort of fell into? I believe in... Um, the universe, <laughs> you know, is predetermined. You know, 
this is uh, this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you roll with it. You make mistakes. You learn from it. And you pick yourself up. Continue on. When I, I mean, how I first, uh, I, I got into dance late. You know, I, I didn't study as a, as a child. <laughs> I got into my second year university. Wow. I was at Hampton University. I was a, um, I was a military cadet. I was a sergeant. I had my own squad. <laughs> wow. And I also was a tennis player. My degrees in psychology. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we have military, tennis, and psychology. Right. I come from a military And then family. you end up dancing in the Alvin Ailey Company and then opening a school for Triple Threat in Canada. Oh, that's, that's a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> I got involved in dance to help my tennis game, actually. Wow. As far as um, spatial awareness, agility, flexibility, that type of thing. And then I just fell in love with movement. I, growing up, I really wasn't allowed to express myself. And I couldn't play really any instruments, <laughs> you know. I, I dabbled a, a little bit into abstract um, reasoning and drawings and things like that. But it was movement that really fulfilled me as the emotional and spiritual connection that made me say to my parents, I'm leaving the the military uh, program. I said, I will stay in school to finish my degree in psychology. However, upon graduation, I'm going to go to New York. I saw this company called the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. That's the company I want to be in one day. And they thought I lost my mind. I was just going to ask, how did they feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't go over too well. You're supposed to be a tennis playing psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so they said, fine. Well, check this out. You're cut off from us. And when you wow. come back to your senses and you want to go to grad school, uh, let us know. But you're on your own with that. Wow. And um, so I went to New York after graduation. Because back home in Red Bank, New Jersey, I was also the um, the resident tennis pro, and I will also clean the we had clay courts, and so that was my job, and I would you know do that uh, uh, six in the morning, and then um, be done with the uh, teaching of the lessons at nine, come back home and shower, then take the bus to Manhattan, that type of thing. And the first time I went to Manhattan to go to the old studio, not the fancy one that they have now. The studio was on 229 East 59th Street in Lexington Avenue in an old church. Wow. Yeah, isn't that something? Cool. An old church. And um, so I, I, I went there. Um, a friend of mine that introduced me to dance, Dr. Carol Penn, we grew up together, and, and she took me to the audition. And the first cut in the audition, I didn't know what was going on. The first cut in the audition was you had to walk across the studio and sign in at this table. And they were cutting people I as they were all walking. They wanted to see if, if you walked with confidence, where was the focus of your eyes, or you're looking all over the place, or you're looking on the ground, or you have that, you know, do you have a direct focus? And I had a direct focus. And they mm -hmm. said, okay. 
you're kind of old auditioning for a scholarship program, but are you willing to do this, Mr. College graduate? Uh, clean our studios, our washrooms and our change rooms in exchange for classes. And I said, yes, I'll do that. So that was my thing. I started off as a work a scholarship student and then got promoted uh, to be the receptionist at the front desk. And then, <laughs> and then things began to pick up. We, we OD'd on classes as far as uh, contemporary. You, had the, you took um, a Horton technique. You took the Graham technique. You had your jazz class. You have your uh, ballet class. You have your African class. And, and for some reason, I, you know, the, my rate of retaining was pretty good. And so they took me off the front desk and said, okay, let's give this guy a full scholarship so he can focus in on the training. Mm -hmm. And my mentor was this gentleman, I think he's still there, Milton Myers. I used to see him teach class. I said, that is what I want to be able to do. Mm -hmm. um, just the way he counted, the rhythm. It wasn't like five, six, seven, eight. It was like... Five and a six and a seven. Now you go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and all the classes had three musicians. You hear me? There was no recorded music. Every class had a pianist, a drummer, and somebody on a horn, or the pianist may play a horn as well in class. So you were feeling the beat, and they would move with you. Oh, it was an ex extraordinary extraordinary experience as, as far as the learning goes and the reason why you get from point A to point B because Ellie had that theatrical background as well about telling a story through movement so then they, they came out with the first um, uh, apprentice company um, Ellie 3 the Alvin Ellie American Dance Center Workshop and I was fortunate enough to be part of the original um, company for LE3. And so there you would you know, take your class and then you would learn repertoire. My thing was I was a good uh, partner. I was a pas de deux man, really. And if you can be a good pas de deux person, you're, I believe at the time you can last longer in a company because um, it's a specialized mm -hmm. technique to do as well. I wasn't, I wasn't flexible. You know, I wasn't Gumby or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have extraordinary... Um, technique, but um, I could move well, had presence, and my timing with uh, partnering was um, one of my strengths. Then I got invited into the national company called LE2, the Alvin Ailey Repertory Ensemble, which was uh, uh, wonderful, and danced with uh, the Pearl Primus African Dance Company, and had the opportunity to perform at um, City Center, Lincoln Center, and Carnegie Hall. And then when I found out that I wasn't going to be asked to be in the first company, that's when I start um, looking around at other things. Okay, what am I going to do? You know, like like living in um, New York is tough, mm -hmm. you know, as a dancer. But I was willing to sacrifice um, training with the at the LA school. But it would be hard for me to go to another company that didn't have that standard or recognition. Yeah. So that's why I was looking at, you know, Broadway for a bit, then realizing that, so no, I, what, I, what I really want to do is dance. I got to 
I got to find a company that can appreciate what I have to offer. And then my ballet teacher uh, at the time, Robert Christopher, he was from American Ballet Theater. And he told me about this new company in Canada, in Montreal, called Le Ballet Jazz de Montreal. He says it's a small repertoire, repertoire uh, 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 company. They travel um, around the world, seven months out of the year. They have a very good uh, mixed program as far as um, choreographic works. And I think that that may work for you. So I saw the audition being advertised in the trade paper. Uh, we didn't have internet back those, in those days yet. <laughs> so you had to look at, uh, every week you check out the backstage uh, newspaper to see what auditions were happening, right? And so I, heard, so I saw that they were auditioning in Montreal. So I flew up to Montreal to take the audition, and um, they hired me right away. I was shocked, <laughs> and I flew back, got my bags, and in two days, I was in Montreal wow. in rehearsals. How long did you live in Montreal? I was with the company for uh, two years, and it was, um, and we toured, you know, we toured around the world, and we were treated like rock stars. I mean, it would, in the uh, in the early '80s in dance, um, it was the ticket. Yeah. I mean. You know, you can go to any clubs or restaurants or whatever, you know. <laughs> and um, I was fortunate enough to get some good press. But then when we were in France, I fell in love with uh, France. And then at the same time, I was establishing myself as a teacher. Because uh, when I went on tour, um, I would also, uh, if there's a town that we visited that I liked, I would go and teach a free class. And I said, look, if you um, like what I have to offer. I'm putting together my own teaching tour when our season ends, because the season really was like a seven seven month gig, but you got five more months to get some income, right? right. So I did my own teaching tour, that type of thing, mm-hmm. and I was fortunate enough to uh, get a contract to teach at the Rosella High Tower Academy de Danse in Cannes, France, which was a very prestigious mm-hmm. academy and. Dancers all over the world came. Mm. And I didn't renew my contract with Lee Ballet Jazz because I accepted a contract to be uh, a guest soloist at the Lido in Paris. And that was a very decadent <laughs> part <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and then I got the call from Lee Ballet Jazz in Montreal saying, look, we got a, a school uh, in Toronto. It needs, a, it needs a boost or something. We We understand that you're... You know, you're a popular teacher, whatever. Can you come over here and guest teach for us? And that's how, that's what brought me back into the country, into Toronto. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's when they, unfortunately, they went under in Toronto, and I took it over and got involved in the business. Yeah. Okay, let me come back to the. <laughs> yeah. Now, as far as the um, the college goes, and uh, so in '92 it was Randolph School of the Arts, then became uh, Randolph Academy for the Performing Arts. And then um, finally the Ministry of Universities, well, they have another name for it now, uh, gave us permission to use the word college in our title. And in 2017, we became Randolph College for the Performing Arts. And we have relationships with two British universities, one in uh, the Royal Conservatoire in Glasgow, Scotland, 
and one at the University uh, of Surrey um, in London, England. And they have a master's degree program. And they would, they would do their world tour looking for students for their master's program. And they came across our program. They asked if they could audit our classes because they were intrigued about the singing, dancing, and acting thing. I said, sure, of course. And they said, my goodness, your program is doing much more uh, in your conservatory approach than really any university as far as student-teacher in a classroom situation. We like how everything is integrated. Um, we would like for your students to audition for our program, and um, if they pass the audition, we'll fast-track them from your diploma program without a BA into a master's degree. And to date, we have about 30 students with their masters, and I'm quite pleased. And the cool thing about that also is um, upon graduation, they get a couple of years of work visa so they can stay in the country, you know, to do um, uh, the West End, say, like in London, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So we've always been about creating opportunity. That's all. Just got to make it happen. You know, you got to be your own CEO. You know, you can't wait for things to come to you. You got you, <laughs> you to take charge. So that's what you inspire people with. And now we have a relationship with here in Canada with um, Sir Wilfrid Laurier University, mm-hmm. uh, where our students can do two years at Randolph and two years at uh, Sir Wilfrid Laurier and get their BA in community uh, musical theater. And the Sir Wilfrid uh, Laurier students, which is a premium, um, the reason why they want the association, they. Their music program is opera-based. They didn't have a musical theater program, so rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, they uh, liked what we're doing and accepted our program to be their musical theater program. So that's how the the pathway agreement relationship started. That's a lot of opening doors. This quote, I heard Brene Brown say it, and then I went and looked it up once, and every now and then when I'm feeling like I've been batted around a bit, I go and read it. And it's uh, President Truman's famous quote, you know, the man in the arena. Do you know the quote? Uh, I'm not familiar with the quote, no? but, I, oh, but I, can okay. understand the, um, I can understand the uh, symbolism that he's um, using there. It's, it's about uh, critics and things like, unless you're in the arena getting bashed around, I don't care what you have to say. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Sure. And like everything you said so far is wonderful and i can see that like you're you're driven and all those kinds of things but i know because <laughs> not on a similar path but i'm still here and exactly. it's it's not there's battles you have to whatever it is in politics or or whatever it is that you have to or was it all smooth sailing <laughs> excuse me smooth <laughs> That's not exactly the phrase I would use. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. No, you got to um, you got to ride the waves. That's for sure. So it's probably better if I had the quote. But I was going to say, do you feel like that? Be the man in the arena, you know, and then I'll listen to you, kind of thing. Right. Wear my shoes, because of you know being a studio owner is tough. Many people don't realize the overhead that is required, right? Yeah. 
they think you're like rolling in it and <laughs> going oh. in. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> and you're things we have You're to working do. really eighteen hour days, seven days a week, and can barely pay your rent. <laughs> things we had to do to keep those doors open. Even the the first studio on Adelaide and Jarvis, oh my goodness. On the weekends, at night, I used to turn it into an after-hours club. And then in in the mornings, <laughs> you have, you know, people from the National Ballet doing the ballet class at 10 o'clock, 11.30, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And I remember an officer coming by at night and said, Mr. Randolph, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying to find ways to pay the rent, sir. He said, look, my daughter takes your class on weekends and I'm telling you this is not the route to go <laughs> this is not the route to go because you're going to attract some undesirable people yeah. at an after hours club I took his advice <laughs> he said find another way so I said, yes 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 sir thank you thank you for the talking you know? <laughs> my goodness that's a good story but yeah, but constantly, uh, you know, uh, you know, even to this day, I mean, it is, it's just tough, tough out there. Always hustling, trying to get loans, borrowing from here, robbing Peter to pay Paul. When you were telling the story earlier, and you kind of said you listened to the universe, and you you feel like there's a fate or a written story for everybody, sort of thing. So does oh, absolutely. Does spirituality play a role in? in your life or in your art? Oh, definitely. Um, well, what attracted me um, to, to dance was the whole spirituality of um, the Ellie message and, it, and the roots where it came from. It came from the, um, the church in the Deep South originally as far as, um, well, his signature piece, mm-hmm. Revelations, yeah. Yeah. right? Still to this day brings on chorus. You know, sometimes I would beat myself up you know, you have your payroll due on Friday, and it's Monday, and you're trying to figure out, how am I going to get all this cash to meet <laughs> payroll? And you do what you have to do, and then you leave it to the universe, and then boom, yeah. it happens. And uh, many people, I told my mother, I said, many people say that I have a horseshoe up my ass. <laughs> and she looked at me stern and said, Son, you don't have a horseshoe up your ass. You got God on your side. Mm-hmm. I, I come from an extremely religious family. My mother was into theology. My both my grandfathers were preachers, and now my daughter, she's an ordained minister. Wow! As well with her, as well as being this yoga teacher and mindful meditation. Yeah, it's being it's being carried on, and I feel like with both uh, our children. Uh, the torch is being passed on as far as appreciation for the different type of art and how it connects with you in a humanistic way. Because I always say that arts is a business, yes, but it's also a human necessity. Hmm. Well, your, your son is an artist. He, yeah, tell us about that. Uh, <laughs> My son, Curtis, he's, uh, he's quite the young Renaissance guy. He went to Ryerson and majored in uh, photography. He was fortunate enough to be selected as one of the recipients of this uh, national award. And they showcased 
his series, his work at the um, at the AGO, and now they're taking his exhibit to the National Gallery of uh, Canada in Ottawa. I went online to see what the gallery was about, and I see that they're having a a Rembrandt exhibit. (laughs) The same guys that um, carried the Rembrandt uh, painting to the gallery were the same guys that the gallery sent from Ottawa to my place here in T.O. to pick up his work that was hanging on my wall. And he's so nonchalant about it. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, some guys are coming to pick up. (laughs) Some guys are coming. What? What are you talking about, son? You know? Yeah, we, uh, we've been uh, very, very blessed with two wonderful, uh, gifted children. And and they make my life worth living. That was my next question. What's the most important thing in your in your life for you? What's your children? Seeing my, seeing my children grow into their own being. The, you know, as parents, my, my ex and I, we believed and providing the children with uh, opportunities and a foundation. But all you can do after that is let them fly and hope for the best. They, they'll go through a couple of bumps to figure things out, to find, find out who they are, and then you hope that they will get pulled back in on track. And so far, we've been very, very uh, fortunate to see their, their growth. Oh, it's, it's amazing. So you're writing a book, right? How's, yes, what's that's happening my, with that? Yes, this is my, my my big project that I'm working on. That I'm very excited about. I'm writing a book about my life. <laughs> uh, the end goal is to turn it into a uh, a, Net, a Netflix doc. Yeah, there's a publisher interested in my story, so we'll see how you know how it rolls out. So have you already written it, or you're? No, I'm in the process. Ah. My goddaughter is actually. Uh, writing it. It's almost like um, conversations, you know, with yeah. George. Yeah. And um, right now the title is called I Am George because <laughs> because when I was running the school in orientation day and meet the parents, they would come into my office uh, wanting to meet um, George Randolph. And I said, I, I am George. <laughs> and they were like, like, they were like shocked, you know, like, and they said, I, you know, please, ex- please excuse me. I, I'm sorry. I, I said, everything okay? He said, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just thought Randolph was a, uh, an old uh, white guy. <laughs> I said, sorry to disappoint you there. <laughs> so anyway, the, um, yeah, it's an interesting process. Oh, my God. It's like uh, talk about therapy and session. <laughs> learning about more about myself as I go through and kind of surprised about some things that I've done. But the most interesting is going through talking to people at different t- parts of uh, walks in my life and hearing their stories that I totally forgot about. What makes it uh, even even more and more interesting. It's a, it's a lot to unpack. I, uh, I'm sure it'll go through more rewrites but I'm enjoying the process. Yeah? Yeah. COVID. How'd you do with the whole last year and a half? COVID. The takeaway from COVID was realizing what's really important in your life. 
and how much stuff you don't need. <laughs> I was looking at my closet. I said, I think I'm going to make some people happy. I don't need all these clothes. I, you know, it's, um, you realize the importance of family, the things that we take for granted as far as touch goes, hugs, non-existent. My heart goes out to the, to the families that had uh, little kids and had to homeschool them and then do their job, whatever their profession was, you know, jockeying for positions of uh, who has the computer, <laughs> what floor are you going to be on or what room. But um, for me, it brought me um, closer to my family. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. it a kind of a downtime? Like everything sort of stopped for you? Or you recalibrated? Well, the, the college continued. I mean, we went online right away. We didn't miss mm-hmm. a beat. Wow. You know, thanks to um, uh, to this woman and, and, and grad, uh, Aaron Brooke, that, um, from what I hear, really took charge and put everything online and, and is still doing an amazing job. As far as uh, me personally, it was more about um, writing that book mm-hmm. and... Uh, thinking about my health, <laughs> you know, paying more attention to that. So are you healthier now after COVID? I'm getting better. <laughs> no, I'm getting better. No, when I say that I'm, you know, I'm getting better, what, what that means is that I'm, uh, I'm a type 2 diabetic, mm-hmm. and so I'm realizing now how you really have to pay attention to this issue. Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, having it control your life, right? Yeah. So I have to take charge. Uh, I take charge again, and it's about uh, and really, my goodness, it's really, it's about what you eat. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, it's so true. Well, and keep moving. And keep moving. Yeah, I got to work on that part. <laughs> yeah. Keep moving. So if I can get those two things together, <laughs> I'll be okay. <laughs> it's hard because when you go a couple of days not moving, it's like to get the motors going again. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, my last question is two-part kind of. Are you content and proud of your career and contribution to the arts? And is there more that you want to do or you've done it? And you like can sit back. Oh and no, there's, there's, <laughs> there's no such thing as sitting back on your laurels. You know, it's um, I could never do that. <laughs> but um, I feel that I have a. The arts gave me a sense of having a purpose, and I'm thankful um, mm-hmm. for that. Will I ever really retire? No, I'll just find another avenue to explore. You took psychology where you were headed. Why psychology? I wanted to go into movement therapy at Columbia University. So it's like the psychotherapeutic use of movement so people can understand their behavior. So that was the backup plan. Right. Yeah. And I find that, you know, being in the arts, using psychology every day, there's no shortage of drama in a (laughs) drama school. I'm sure. (laughs) 
Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I mean, I, I, I think we, we've covered a good portion right now. I just want to say thank you again for this, for this opportunity, including me. I, I mean, we, we've seen each other in advertisements and pictures and all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, seeing you face-to-face like this, this is, this is after 25 years, my goodness. My hat is off to you and your accomplishments. I'm telling you, I I know the difficulties in surviving in this industry. That's why it's nice to listen to somebody else's story, both the highs and the lows. Mm -hmm. I think as the kind of people that, you know, are still surviving around, it's kind of like we need each other to uh, know that we're not weird. Like, you know, sometimes I feel so alone. um, Right. That uh, there's a lot of students, there's a lot of dancers, there's a lot of teachers, there's a lot of choreographers, but... Um, there's not a lot of people who have been on such turns and ups and downs, and you know. But your story certainly sounds like that. And, oh, uh, oh, yeah. There's a, and there's how, a few more. How, <laughs> how, what made you say that to me in 1995 when you said, "And you chose belly dancing? You must be a really brave girl." <laughs> no, it's just, it's just a specialized art form. Uh, you know, to actually do a studio to focus in on that. Mm-hmm. Only? Well, everybody told me I was crazy, yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I I was a modern dance teacher, but it wouldn't sell, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't sell. So I said, wait a minute, I wanted to teach this Horton technique. And I said, nobody wants that. Man, they, people want modern jazz. They, the craze uh, back then, you had flash dance. You had the music videos just happening in the in the mid-'80s and things like that. So what I So what I did was change my... The structure of my class, I changed the music. I changed the music. Was that like an ongoing battle for you, though? What what the market was demanding and what you wanted to do? It was like you yeah, were constantly so I, having to work with those two? Yeah, you have to... I said, I have to find a way to make people want to take my class. My way was um, changing up the music and incorporating some of the movements that were happening at the time with the young people in with the contemporary movement. So you created another style. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it wasn't pure Horton um, technique at, at all, but it gave you a strong technique without you even knowing it. Right. So that's how I, how I would market the class. But you would, um, you always have to change with uh, what's going on. For instance, I used to have um, pianists at the school that refused to play pop music for musical theater. Mm-hmm. That's not musical theater. But all of a sudden, shows with pop music came on. Right. Everybody had to learn how to do it. You got to you got to you got to move with it. Now you're dealing with a situation where theater might be uh, limited as far as the attendance goes, and oh, you know, with the whole uh, COVID situation. So. What are you looking at? You're looking at live streaming productions. You, you see, you see the big guys doing it right now with the movie Hamilton. Mm-hmm. You see with hip hop artists uh, partnering with um, game companies, like this uh, hip hop artist's name is Travis something, with um, Fourth Night. Uh, all these kids playing that game. He did a concert, and these kids were buying avatars to be in his concert to follow him around and different things. You know. You know, it's 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 insane. So you have to be um, you have to be 
creative. You know, the performing arts has to mix now in with, definitely with digital arts, media arts. That's where the, I believe, the next uh, wave is turning, turning to. But when we started talking, you said the, the real impetus that made you a teacher is you love to see people grow into themselves, mm -hmm. define themselves, sort uh, of. Absolutely. But that's really kind of like maybe you have to morph a little bit of Horton technique or morph a little bit, but at the end of the day, you're hoping like steer them to that direction. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right? So the, the same tactics that you use in a scene study class, you can apply in a dance class. Again, it's, it's, it's about storytelling. It's about finding the, uh, the truth behind what you, how you move or what you say. You can have, anybody can um, learn a step, you know, learn some choreo, or learn lines, or learn the verses of a song, but it's all about how you can put your, your own life experience into that message to make it more believable. You know what I'm talking about. Just yesterday I taught a workshop and almost verbatim said that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. That's, yeah. the, that's the development of, a, uh, of an artist. Yeah, it's glorious. Well, George, thank you very much. I'm very honored. It was total pleasure. And I was really excited about this uh, this podcast, even nervous. Still am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored, and I'm very grateful. Thank you. Okay. It's so good to Thank see you, you, Yasmina. Thank you for joining me, your host, Yasmina Ramsey, for this week's episode of Deeper Dance. If you would like more information, please check out my website at yasminaramseyarts.com. I hope you join me next week with more fascinating guests and more ideas to ponder inspired by dance. Thank you.